You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Mulan. Do you know why the phoenix sits on the right hand of the emperor? She is his guardian, his protector. That she's both beautiful and strong. Your job is to bring honor to the family. Do you think you can do that? Citizens, we are under attack from northern invaders. Their leader calls himself Ori Khan. Fights alongside a witch. No survivors. By edict of his imperial majesty, every family must contribute one man to fight. Have you no son? I am blessed with two daughters. I will fight. must be strong. This time he will not return. Loyal, brave, and true. It is my duty to protect my family. Ancestors, please protect her. What is your name, soldier? Hua Jun, commander, son of Hua Zhou. We're going to make men out of every single one of you. Close the gate! Your spirit is evident, but something holds you back. When they find out who you are, they will show you no mercy. I'm Hua Mulan. I will bring honor to us all. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Mulan, and the story is as follows. To save her ailing father from serving in the Imperial Army, a fearless young woman disguises herself as a man to battle northern invaders in China. The film is starring Yi Fi Lu, Donnie Yen, Si Ma, Gong Li, Yosun An, Jason Scott Lee, Ron Yun, and Jet Li. It is directed by Nikki Caro and written by Rick Jaffa, Amanda Silver, Lauren Hynek, and Elizabeth Martin. Join me for this podcast review. I have Ryan C. Showers. You guys are going to make a man out of me. <laughs> Tan Bear. Loyal, brave, and true. Cody Derricks. Something, something. Let's get down to business. <laughs> and joining us as a guest here from Film Inquiry and That Shelf, returning to the podcast, we have Kevin Lee. Hello, it's great to be back. All right, everyone. So we're finally talking about the 2020 live action remake of Mulan here from Disney, now streaming currently on Disney Plus for $29.99 and available apparently for free in December, which... Why would you? Why in God's name would you announce that before uh, the release of the film this weekend? Why wouldn't you wait until at least a week or two after? But who knows? In any event, though, we're finally talking about this after uh, thinking that we were going to review it back in the spring before the release date was pushed out due to COVID-19. We even reviewed the 1998 animated uh, original version uh, a few weeks prior to the original release date. So... I don't know if the whole world has seen it, but a lot of people have now watched Mulan 
Let's talk about it. All right, let's hear first from Ryan C. Showers. Ryan, what did you think of Mulan? Wow, okay. Um, I thought this was um, a visually striking film. Um, the production values are out of this world, and perhaps um, one of the most fun things about, one of the funnest things about um, these Disney um, live-action remakes is seeing the animated world come to life. And I think that um, maybe with the exception of Beauty and the Beast, this is the most like fun to see um, that that personification of um, the stories that we know. Um, I think that the film um, it really succeeds in describing um, these um, these gender roles in um, uh, in a real in a realistic and dark way. Um, however, I do uh, I didn't I can't say I loved the film. Um, I love the original um, animated, and I'm going to try not to compare it um, to to that um, 1998 film. But um, I found that this was almost tonally weird. Like, I, I mean, from the get go, whenever they announced they weren't going to be including the songs or the sidekick characters, it made me question how the film's going to work. And the, that questioning really materialized for me in the final product. Like, um, on one hand, it has these really cheesy slow motion movements and um, shots of um, Mulan. And, um, like, for instance, uh, kind of um, slapstick scenes like in the beginning where she's um, with the other women and she's balancing the cups. But then it then we have like on the other hand um, these really graphic war scenes. And I I didn't know how to I didn't know what the film was aiming to be. Is it aiming to be something for families or is it aiming to be a graphic brutal telling of this story? And that's where I got hung up the most. Um, I also found um, some of the uh, the exposition of the film that was implied in the animated version to be um, to be really bad. Like for instance, when Mulan's father um, fi- realizes she's gone, and he says, "Oh, my sword!" Like it just like there were several instances of that, um, especially like with the um, the wartime efforts too. I found to be just like n- n- there there wasn't a lot of value in it or merit, and it ruined some of it. Like for instance, when Mulan um, does make that epic exit you know it's then followed up by her father the the cheesy scene with her father afterwards so i'm i'm not i struggled with it on that grounds like i i really respect the film um for what it what it's trying to do um and the social um change it it, it's trying to inspire with embedding more um, empowering roles for women onto younger kids to make it seem normal for them but at the same time is this a movie for younger kids i don't know i mean it was it's PG-13. I don't know. I'm just, I'm very conflicted, to be honest. Okay. All right. Cody, what did you think? So I have very similar thoughts to Ryan, actually. Um, we were texting after the movie ended, and we were like, oh, we're kind of hand-in-hand hand on this, aren't we? I also tr- want to try to avoid comparing it explicitly to the original, um, which I do like quite a bit. The problem is this movie it does the weird kind of... Uh, balancing act of it wants to be its own movie you know it's gotten rid of eddie murphy and the music and all that and made it a much more realistic story in some aspects besides the obvious fantasy elements but then they keep bringing attention to the animated movie little things like the music and the score sometimes it borrows from the songs from the original and sometimes even lyrics from the songs are just lines of dialogue in this so I kind of would respect it a little more if it kind of just did its own thing like it seemingly wanted to do. I wonder how much of that was like studio notes. (laughs) We'll never know, obviously. Um, 
However, in terms of the Disney live action remakes, this is comparatively one of the better ones. I got to say, um, it's probably only topped by Cinderella in my opinion. Um, when so many of them lean into territory of just obvious cash grab, I have to respect this one for doing its own thing to a degree. Uh, also, like Ryan, I loved everything going on with the Gong Lee character. I loved the foil she was for Mulan and the intention it brought to uh, how women are viewed in uh, not just this society, but society in general and the roles they are allowed to fill in different aspects of society. I thought that was all well executed and laid out. I think the uh, ultimate... Um, summation of that storyline was a little bit underwhelming, but yeah, overall a solid movie. Um, I don't know if I can recommend spending $30 on it, but yeah, one of the better Disney remakes by default. Okay. Dan bear. Uh, yeah, like Cody said, this is pretty far and away. One of the better, if not the best of the Disney live action remakes, which sort of is enough on its own to make me recommend it. Um, I, I think that it, it, that happens mostly just on a level of solid filmmaking craft. Honestly, the cinematography is great. The production design, costume design, it looks really great. And it does that while staking its own visual identity. It doesn't feel like it is super tied to the original animated movie, although Granted, I have not seen the animated Mulan since I saw it in theaters way back when. So I, my, obviously my memory is not as fresh on it, but it, to me, it felt enough like its own thing that I was willing to forgive it a lot. And just the, like the basic craft level again was so strong that I was willing to forgive it a lot. And you do kind of have to forgive it a lot. The characters are pretty flat. The arcs are not well managed over the runtime of the film, but, uh, and, and plot the, uh, there are some leaps that I think could have been really expanded and, when you were listing, you know, who is involved in the film and you kept going and going, saying one more writer and one more writer, I was like, oh, really? This many people wrote this and there's still that many issues with the scripts? Ooh, that's not good. But at the same time, I can't say that I didn't enjoy watching it, which is much more than I can say for a lot of the rest of these kinds of films. Um, and I, 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 not worth twenty nine ninety nine on top of a Disney plus subscription. I don't think, but it, it's, I still think it's pretty good. All right. And our guest here, Kevin Lee. So I, uh, I really enjoy this film. I, I don't, I, I have problems with it, but, um, but this is a film I deeply, deeply admire. I respect so many of the. Uh, creative decisions it, it does. I actually think it is a fundamentally different movie from the 1998 original one. I think a lot of the opinions for this one is going to bank on probably one of the biggest changes in the script that is letting Mulan already be a skilled fighter. And because of that uh, change, which is something that the original Chinese ballad already had, um, this one 
the story is far more of an internalized drama. It's more about Mulan's struggle to um, own up to who she is, right? I think uh, that's great. In exchange, though, you you lose a some things. Like I think the I think the overall plot of this film, even though it's familiar, it's, it's close to the 1998 one. The the stakes of uh, of the plot is is not really there because the the film's attention is more on on the human drama elements, and you kind of lose some of the other. Um, some of the other things that the animated film was very, very uh, particularly strong on. But I think that's okay, because again, I, I think this one is aiming to do something completely different, and I think it, it does succeed in that aspect. But um, I am not surprised by, um, by these reactions, and you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. But um, in terms of Disney remakes, I think this is up there in one of the better ones. I, I think I um, still prefer Cinderella, and I still think um, I prefer Jungle Book. But I think this is right there, third place. Jeez, I was like, what's up with the Jungle Book erasure over here? Too scary. Jungle Book is fine, except for the songs feel horribly shoehorned in. It, it, they're That's jarring. Mal Maleficent's great, too. <laughs> well, so there's a reoccurring theme here, actually, when it comes to the Disney live action remakes. And uh, for me personally, like my favorite ones outside of probably Cinderella, uh, which I definitely enjoy uh, on its own uh, merit, is I typically tend to like the Disney live action uh, films that veer away from the original. So movies like uh, Mary Poppins Returns, which is a sequel, or even... Um, uh, the Winnie the Pooh film uh, with Ewan McGregor, uh, which uh, name? Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin. I was about to say, say I was about to say goodbye, Christopher Robin, and I was like, nope, that was a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> or even uh, Maleficent, as you guys mentioned before. I, I like that when the live action films can really stand on their own and differentiate themselves from the original, so the comparisons go away. Uh, movies like Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King have been like the worst offenders of this because the originals are just so good that. These new versions, although they present something new in terms of the visual aesthetics, storytelling-wise, they can't possibly ever match the original. And Mulan, for me, is like somewhere caught right in the middle, where I agree that it is trying to do its own thing in a lot of ways. You know, the stripped-down nature of the story, getting rid of some of the cartoonish aspects of the original, like the side characters, including uh, Mushu, but... Also, like really grounding this um, in a way that is going to hopefully like differentiate it and make it its own thing. I, 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 I admire it for trying. And so where the film does lose me is it, it loses me where it's like it couldn't fully commit to one thing. It couldn't fully commit to being its own standalone movie separate from the animated original, which is what we all kind of got from the marketing in a lot of ways was, wow, this looks like it's going to be something really, really, really different. Not necessarily a different story, but just something that is going to hopefully like work hand in hand with the original. Unfortunately, I still do find myself making those inevitable comparisons to the original on a storytelling level. A lot of the beats in terms of character and in terms of plot, I just found myself constantly saying over and over, this is not emotionally resonating for me. This is not landing. 
and it landed so much better, maybe because we just recently uh, reviewed it, even if it was just a few months ago. Uh, That 1998 version holds up better than most people actually think, and I'm not saying it is at the Lion King, Beauty and the Beast level necessarily, but I think it's definitely up there in the top tier uh, animated Disney uh, filmography. So with this version in particular, I think it's just tonally all over the place at times. Not in terms of comedy or anything like that, but just more in terms of, okay, like a great example, the the martial arts, right? A lot of great fight choreography in this movie. It almost wants to give off the impression that this is like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or Hero for Kids. The problem with that is maybe, as Cody was saying, it works for kids, but us as adults, you know, you have Mulan wielding a sword on a battlefield and she doesn't impale a single person with that sword. Why? Because it's Disney. (laughs) She can't. So it kind of comes off as a little hokey to me. You know, some of these martial arts scenes, they're, they're laughable. I don't know if you guys noticed on Twitter recently, but uh, the ending moment where she kicks the arrow in midair into uh, somebody's chest, like that's already being tossed around the internet as kind of like a laughable moment just because of how overly stylized it is that it actually kind of abandons the grounded reality that this movie wants to go for and pushes it more into a hyper stylized version that just kind of comes off as uh, fake and phony. See, I didn't mind that moment so much because in the context of the movie, we've seen a few moments like that already. So it didn't really surprise me. I agree. What I find like kind of comical about that moment, unfortunately, comical is the wrong word. What I find a little bit lacking about that moment, unfortunately, is a problem I had with the movie throughout, which was this frantic editing. And it's you notice it very quickly in like the opening scene. And it kind of never stops um, whenever there's action. There are just like cuts upon cuts upon cuts. And I don't mind a rapidly cut film, but it just felt a little bit uh, frenetic in a bad way for the most part. Which is interesting to me because the choreography is pretty damn good at times. And there's a lot of really great like Zack Snyder style slow motion being used for some of these fight scenes that remind me a lot of things like, you know, 300 or Watchmen, for example. And. I was thinking to myself, wow, like if only the camera would just hold on to these moments for a little bit longer instead of getting all these intricate camera angles where the camera's up here and now it's down there. And it's just like you said, Cody, it's just cutting all over the place that I think for kids, they're going to be excited by this. But uh, as an as as an adult, I just I I don't know. I was disconnected from it the whole time. I I do think that's an astute point about the editing. I do think it, it kind of makes a mess of things it's not as smooth as as i would have liked it particularly in the battle scenes in the more one-on-one fight scenes it's it's not as egregious um but yeah the, the fight choreography is so good which i was really impressed by there's even like rotating camera uh during some of the action scenes where the camera just looked like tilts like 90 degrees and you know there's some really really cool interesting techniques here yeah. it's just it feels like it's trying to throw everything out there and hoping that something sticks it reminded me of like the worst like the worst use of like rob marshall type editing like like him his editing at at, at his worst whenever he um is just uh, constantly cutting like a camera flashing snap 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 it's it it didn't work and i found the editing to be kind of um abrasive too in the non-fight scenes as well and it it just kind of took me out of the film 
uh, to be honest. And also, too, if you're going to make every single shot in this movie stylized to some degree, why not then kind of lean into some more of the cartoonish, uh, you know, examples from the original? I'm, I don't want to, like, harp on that aspect way too much, but I know that we were all in some form, way or another, kind of bummed out that this movie would not have... Uh, Some aspects of the animated film previously had like the songs and things like that. But why then go for that kind of a hyperkinetic style and not then include that? Well, um, you know, I I do think that it is hard. Um, I do. At at its core, I don't think the story necessarily works whenever it's trying to do like how Cody said, like it's trying to do its own thing in a way, but it doesn't like it's stuck in this um, uh, this in between. And I think a lot of the story, a lot of the success of the animated film is lost here because of the, because it doesn't get the tone right. Um, I, I, I found the tone to be its weakest asset the entire way through. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't have much of a problem with the tone of it. I, I even didn't have much of a problem with the, um, I'll say, lack of blood. All I'm saying is this, because because even some of those movies I mentioned are, are not necessarily like the goriest uh, films that you've ever seen or anything like that. And I'm not saying that Mulan needs to have that in order to be great. I'm just saying that it's a they want it to be like a, a, a serious war movie at times. And it's just really, really, really hard to do that under the Disney umbrella. Yeah, I was I was just about to say that as well, which is I think um, we can all hate on uh, Disney for the stuff they do. But I feel like for this specific adaptation, um, I I feel like Disney was in a really tricky situation because um, they had to put in certain elements of um, Chinese action cinema with a wuxia choreography. You mentioned Hero and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm actually I was actually already blown away that it was going to have uh, wuxia elements in the film uh, ever since, like, I think the second trailer dropped. Yeah. And so that was already an amazing um, inclusion thing to me because it's one of those things, it's almost like uh, like those Godzilla rubber suits where I can grow up saying how much I love it and I will get judged by other people for it, you know? Because it's very hard for um, uh, some folks to take that kind of anti-gravity um, fight choreography, and especially when they're bloodless, you know. But I think this is a fantastic introduction to a whole new subgenre for for kids, you know. And and uh, so I, I absolutely respect the decision. At the same time, I cannot disagree with the criticisms you guys are making about the film trying to find this middle ground and trying to juggle a lot of stuff together. I do think it has that issue i'm just willing to overlook it i guess and this is all very like i said this is all very different from the um from the animated film and yeah i'm i think this is this is a film that i don't love as much as the animated but i love it for a completely different reason you know and and i think my willingness to support this film like I have a huge um, emotional drive to support this film. The thing is, the original animated film it is one of my all-time favorite Disney films. It's like right up there behind um, Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's right up there. But growing up with it, there's actually you know a lot of elements in the animated film that have been um, westernized and Americanized that I kind of accepted, you know. 
And there's some portrayals in that film that are not entirely accurate either, but I've accepted all of those um, minor issues in it. But growing up, I've always wanted Mulan to eventually be told again in a in a live action um, adaptation. To, uh, actually, um, not um, no no joke. Um, I've wanted Yoi Fei to play Mulan ever since I was like a middle school student. It was like a dream of like, that was like at least ten years in the making. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I, and I think she does a really good job carrying the movie as well. Um, the 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 moment where actually in terms of because there's very very few moments of acting from people in this movie that really like struck me uh, on an emotional level, especially like her scenes at the camp with like Donnie Yen and also with um uh, with Chen and it like it it, it all kind of like just fell flat for me. But her final moment with Si Ma at the end of the movie where um you know he says it is my daughter that means everything to me. Oh, that got me good. So surprised because I had kind of been like a little checked out for most of the movie, like kind of half watching because like it just wasn't, it was well done, but it wasn't involved in it. And somehow (laughs) (laughs) I, that scene comes up and I'm crying. Yeah. And like, I don't know why. (laughs) So, so I I think there is, um, I think there is one other extra change that this movie did to it, to, to that scene or to that moment that I think made it work so well, which is the moment where Mulan turns down the emperor's offer and says, I, I, I would like to return home instead. I'm not, not to um, compare it again to the animated film, but in the animated film, she explains it with one line. She just says, I think I've been away from home long enough. And, and that's it. But here, because this one is way more interested in um, her inner conflict, um, there is this constant sense of uh, self-imposed guilt like she tells herself she has to go back home and make amends with her family and that's something that um the anime film did not really spend time on for for understandable reasons but i think it gets the emotional payoff at the end with her father in a whole new different way and it's intimate moments like that that makes this film so different and why i respect it so much it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, 
for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. If we're going to just talk about her family, though, for a brief second here, I I do have a note that says uh, her sister was an unnecessary addition to this live action film. I didn't understand why she needed to have another sibling in this version, because quite honestly, I didn't feel like she contributed anything to the emotional arc or to the plot or Mm -hmm. anything, really. Um, I I understand that, but I don't entirely agree because I think it I think she's there for um, in my opinion, she's there to serve um, two purposes. One, I, I like the idea of Mulan having someone else closer to her age to talk to. It's just a m- minor thing, but I kind of appreciate that. And then the second thing is I think it really calls a little bit more attention to how her father is the only man in the family, which um, it, it, at that time, I think is uh, far more uh, uh, significant and w- with um, social impact uh, per se, you know. Yeah. When when her when her father says uh, when the um, uh, not not general but the the uh, ambassador asks uh, Mulan's father like, don't you have a son? And he says, I'm blessed with two daughters. Like I felt that line. Yeah, I. <laughs> Yeah, I'm okay. I won't disagree with you on that part of it. It's just, I, I think, once again, an inevitable comparison to the original animated. Uh, she doesn't have a sibling in that one, and I didn't necessarily feel that this movie justified having that additional character necessarily, although I don't disagree with your reasoning. I agree with Kevin, actually. I think that um, for both of his reasons, but also there was a moment I, re- I really liked um, whenever Mulan leaves and um, her sister sees her leaving. I thought that was um, I thought that was a powerful moment. Uh, another really big change uh, from the original to this one is the inclusion of uh, Xian Lang, uh, this powerful shape-shifting uh, witch who is an ally of um, of uh, 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 Jason Scott Lee's character uh, Bori Khan, and. Uh, you know, the Bori Khan character really is a stand-in for um, the original uh, villain who, quite honestly, like, he has this added motivation for wanting to avenge his father's death, but, you know, I mean, quite honestly, I don't really need that aspect to be fleshed out necessarily as much. That's okay. I was definitely just much more interested in this witch ally and how she tied into Mulan's overall storyline, and I thought two things. One, I thought it was actually extremely powerful when uh, Mulan has her cathartic uh, moment with her, And two, it was another example of if you're going to throw something supernatural into what's supposedly supposed to be this grounded version of Mulan, why couldn't we have some more of the cartoonish elements once again? You know, so I don't know. What do you guys think of uh, her inclusion into the story? So she probably was my favorite straight up addition to the movie. Um, Yeah, I think the I kind of alluded to this in my opening statement, the foil the parallel she draws with Mulan's life as somebody who also has a um, uh, mastery over their levels of chi and we can talk further about that um, 
And seeing that uh, the Gong Li character wasn't willing to suppress that like she was told to by people around her in society. And the only way she could use it to her full powers um, in any way that wasn't hiding them was to join, you know, quote unquote, the bad guys. And so I I really liked that comparison that is drawn because then Mulan obviously is doing the same thing. She's suppressing herself, but her way of doing it is disguising herself as a man. So she's still not living her true uh, her truth completely. And I like that Gong Li represented this, um, or Gong Li's character represented this kind of like two roads diverged kind of uh, faction to Mulan's story. It's like this is, if you want to be fully a woman in this world with your powers uninhibited, you have to make sacrifices in terms of your morals. And I thought that was an interesting, um, very like mature <laughs> uh, message to be put in a Disney movie. I think it doesn't really fully pay off because, spoiler alert, Mulan ends up like, and I don't know a way to do this differently, essentially fighting for the patriarchal society that suppressed her. I mean, obviously it ends up, it leads to change, but I mean, I don't know another way to do that in this type of movie. So, I mean, I was nervous that Mulan was initially gifted at the beginning of the story because the whole reason why I think the original works uh, so well um, for the whole I'll make a man out of you segment is because she changes over the course of that song from, you know, starting off not necessarily being able to do the training and then by the end uh, utilizing uh, her skills to be able to outsmart and outwit and like in some cases outmatch her male counterpart parts but in this movie she's already just like kind of naturally gifted almost like in a um uh uh, uh what's the word I'm th- uh, who am i thinking of uh, uh da- daisy ridley from uh star wars Ray. and so i was very nervous about that uh initially at first when the movie began but i agree cody that the inclusion of this character this other character really really helped to crystallize that theme and actually was the element of this movie that differentiated it from the animated movie in a way that i thought was maybe even an improvement to be completely honest with you yeah and and it's funny that you bring it bring this up because um comparing uh with the i'll make a man out of you sequence because as much as i love the animated mulan it's uh like i said I feel like the story, the actual story of Mulan's legend has was um, definitely westernized and given the hero's journey type of um, trope. Yeah. In the original ballad of Mulan, she does already have all of her fighting skills. She was trained ever since a child, sword fighting, archery, martial arts, all that stuff. And her conflict was hiding that she's a woman because that really was the only thing holding her back. And uh, in the original ballad, she actually leads the Chinese army for 12 years and no one knew that she was a woman until she decided to tell everyone. Wow. You know, and so for for this adaptation straight up, starting with Mulan already has all those skills. I, I thought, oh, my God, D- Disney's kind of like going back on what they did before in the animated film. Like, I, I kind of love this already. <laughs> And just to circle back real quick, I thought that um, I, I I kind of agree with both Cody and Matt, and that's why it made me like kind of indifferent to the addition of Gong Li. Um, like I, I was distracted by the fact that she was this supernatural um, person at first, while the film is pushing forth this reality, this grounded reality. But at the same time, I lo- I really appreciated what they did when the arc came full circle with Gong Li. Um, and as uh, as it pertains to Mulan's inherent abilities, um, I like both ways, and I'm uh, I, I really like the way that it's used in the animated version. But I do think this film does, um, to Kevin's point, um, I, I think it, it provides another perspective that is 
um, worth worthwhile exploring. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, what Kevin said. I've I've seen a lot of criticism going around about the as the um the chi aspect and uh, the like quote unquote chosen one narrative. Um, I've seen a lot of you know dismissive comparisons to like Rise of Skywalker and Captain Marvel, but I do think that having Mulan be this naturally gifted and well trained warrior, uh, and then having her to have to suppress those gifts. Um, further ties in the themes with the Gong Li character. And I think it makes it a fully like a, a stronger character choice. I don't mind so much the um, she's not an everyday person kind of narrative. And I didn't even mind the like the chi level aspect of it. I've seen a lot of also dismissive comparisons of it to like midi chlorians. But the movie does a good job of being explicit that chi in this world is something that is uh, part of every living being. It's just about harnessing it in the proper way. So I didn't I really didn't mind that at all. Yeah, I that was something that I actually really kind of liked because it it set up a nice dramatic arc for the character that was very different from the one in the animated film. And I think it works when you have when you're doing this in a more real world grounded uh um, scenario because the whole conflict then becomes well, we know she's a great warrior, but then when she has to go into the army and hide the fact that she's a woman and she's been told to suppress all these things, I mean, she has a great moment after she has uh, one of the fights with the the hot guy, um, where she like you know storms off and says, "No, you can't show them your G. You can't do that." But and that's a really interesting conflict that that um, and having to do that makes her lesser because she's having to hide. And I, I think that a lot of people will should be, you know, reading this as more akin to what Elsa has to do in Frozen and, you know, trying to attach the LGBTQ narrative onto it. Because after all, she doesn't really um, accept a romantic interest in this story either, which is also kind of great. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I do think that her... <sighs> I feel like the parallels with the Gong Li character, with the witch, for lack of a better word, just kind of exist. It felt like a missed opportunity. Like, they didn't really develop it all that much. And after... it, The, the shift in Mulan that happens after their first big fight scene didn't play well for me. Something about her just like throwing off her armor and everything just happened too fast. No, I, I, I agree, Dan. And I think that has to do more with some of the um, botched storytelling beats that came before it yeah. and that emotional disconnect. Like, cause you, by that point, that's the point where the movie really wants you to be bought in. But if you're not pre bought in, then it may not land as well. And I think that Harry Gregson Williams score really uh, utilizing the reflection theme as she's rejoining the fight. It is supposed to be like this really rousing kick ass moment where the audience is supposed to feel all the nostalgia and all the power and emotion. And it, it, it like it, I, I got there. But it was like just barely because, like, you know, for a huge chunk before all of this, I mean, I'm talking like a massive chunk of the movie. I was really not on board with this, but I really thought that at least this emotional arc was different enough and it landed well enough that it was able to pull me back in and really get me um, really get me 
you know, going. You know, my blood was definitely pumping and I was ready to see Mulan uh, kick some ass. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I think the part that really got me going was was not um, was not there. But it's this uh, sunset uh, moment that um, that she has with the with the Gongli witch character. And there's like callback to to an earlier line. And then Mulan says, I know my place. That I, I feel like that was the moment that really got got my blood pumping. Sure. Yeah. And I like to mention um, one other um, one other moment in the film where it, it really sold me like, oh, this this is really good. This is really different. It's a moment that that Mulan has with uh, Donnie Yen's character and the scene sets up making you think it's about this tension of, oh, has he found out? That, does someone know that Mulan is actually a woman? But no, it goes into this idea of him recognizing that she has chi and that she has no reason to hide that. And it just takes on this extra meaning, this double meaning, you know? And it, that really is the thematic focus of this film. And I, I, I love how the action moments, the human dramatic moments, they're all about this. They're all about... Um, uh, this inner conflict in Sure. I, I also kind of loved how with that character <laughs> they kind of leaned into the um, the gay thing. Oh, of which character? Sorry? With the, the pseudo love interest character. Like they kind of leaned into almost making him attracted to uh, boy Mulan. Oh, oh, kind of like kind of like Li, Sh- Li Shang in the original. Right? Yeah. yeah, like they didn't shy away from, yo, this dude might be gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like he's disappointed that when he finds out that she's a woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts on Mulan. Uh, I think this is a good time to maybe talk about some of the crafts uh, of the movie here. Um I, like I'll, I'll start off by just saying that I think there is some really gorgeous, uh, gorgeous scenery, some really exciting swooping drone shots that I wish I could have experienced uh, on a big screen. You know, and the Harry Gregson Williams score I think is actually really good at times, especially when it does rework in the original uh, melodies from uh, the animated film. The costumes, the sets, the makeup I think are out of this world especially the costumes i mean this is a visually splendid movie to just feast your eyes on there's even a oh my gosh there's even like a wes anderson-esque overhead shot of props that i was like the the aesthetic of this movie is mind-blowing to me at times um and it's you know it's 200 million dollars the most expensive uh movie that a female director has ever made so every amount of that you can see it on the screen yes agree I don't know. Uh, the only other thing I would just say is like cinematography wise at first, I, I think I think I was getting like really wrapped up in um, the epic scope with some of these wide exterior shots. But then when we started getting to uh, the like the interiors and things of that nature, I did start to feel that um, kind of like almost like Disney Beauty and the Beast. Uh, like like I could tell these sets are fake cinematography like in terms of the way they were lit you know what i'm saying? like they were overly lit that they that they looked fake yeah and yeah. there was a lot of moments where 
this is a small gripe, but once I noticed it, it really bugged me. There'll be a lot of moments where they'll be cutting really rapidly between movement, 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 and then they'll cut to somebody just kind of standing still and then back to movement, movement, movement. And it's almost comical. <laughs> um, I notice it most at the very end, obviously, when the emperor is, you know, incapacitated, but it just kind of stands out as and it makes the static shots look even uh, cheaper in a way, which feels weird considering the you know enormous budget we just laid out. I and I have to agree. I the imagery, especially like in the second half, the imagery in the second half just really blew me away. Like I just wanted to feast on it. Um, I think, in fact, it almost took like my I, I, my favorite production value was probably the um, was probably the sets. Um, but by the end of it, I was like just swept up in the cinematography, um, and uh, the costumes are also um, phenomenal. I will say in terms of cinematography, though, I I liked, you know, the sweeping vistas and the really dynamic shots. And uh, yeah, when the slow motion was uh, used appropriately in battles, I really enjoyed it. However, I really didn't like the choice they made to occasionally have like almost like a vignette applied to the uh, like a filter almost. And it, it got really shallow focusy. I don't I don't know the proper cinematographical <laughs> terms there, but it, something about it just looked a little bit. Again, I, I hate to use the word, but cheesy to a degree. Sure. No, I, I think I know exactly what, what you're talking about in regards to that here. Um, there's even a... Uh, oh, man. For those of you that watched Game of Thrones, <laughs> there's even uh, that moment uh, rise up like a phoenix and the wings come from behind her. And I was like, oh, mm. someone's going to instantly do a Daenerys Mulan side by side <laughs> comparison of that shot. Yep. <laughs> Oh gosh! I think I think in terms of craft for for this movie, I think you you guys all uh, nailed it with the um, sets and costume design. The production value is all gorgeous. It's, you get like a dazzling array of colors here, and each location has its own uh, color aesthetic, which is just awesome. Um, I think the costume designs in in this film are like they strike like a really good balance between being historically accurate and being a little stylized and fantasized like you're like yeah. you are watching a myth. And the thing I care I cared a lot about is making sure those costumes do feel worn, which was something I did not think was done in the Aladdin remake. I felt like the costumes in that one were way too clean and way too colorful that they looked a little uh, too fake. Um, I agree with you, Matt, that there's a few moments like how the sets are lit that you could tell it was a set that they built. Um, there's occasional shots where I felt like there was a disconnect in the depth of the image where I could tell the background is just green screen. And, you know, I feel like the, these kinds of things, um, production value, action set pieces, this this is all stuff that I dreamt about for over 10 years in a Mulan remake. And really, like... I, I did not expect to get them all here. You know, it's more like everything I have ever wanted in a, a live action Mulan movie has been spread across multiple Chinese movies, like a little bit of hero, a little bit of crouching tiger, hidden dragon, a little bit of red cliff. You know, if you, if you like the big epic, um, ba uh, battle sequences in Mulan, like do check out red cliff. It's like the Lord of the Rings of, Chinese uh, epic movies. I've heard that before. I'm going to have to check that out because you're you're not the first person I've heard say that. And, you know, you mentioned Lord of the Rings and come on. I mean, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> uh, whatever final thoughts do people have? Uh, let's start off with Cody. Yeah, I don't really have much more to say besides what I already said. I think, um, like I said, in terms of the Disney live action remakes, this is probably top of the pile. I don't know if I would recommend spending the, you know, semi exorbitant um, 
price tag, especially if you're just watching it by yourself. Um, waiting till December probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, but yeah, the crafts are stunning across the board. I really like the costumes, as everybody's saying. Um, the Gong Lee edition, I think, also alone makes it worth watching to a degree. But overall, this is a, a, a decent uh, movie. I wouldn't say great, but I also wouldn't say bad. All right. Dan Bear. It's a good movie. And that is so much better than I can say for most of the Disney live action remakes that that's kind of enough for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's almost kind of all that needs to be said. I, I really did like the, that it, there were like literally fight scenes that felt ripped straight out of house of flying daggers and hero. And I, I loved that. And I hope that this, you know, if to the extent that this movie could get, kids interested in watching those much better movies i think its existence is uh worthwhile just for that um but you know on top of everything like it's just for the most part just really well solidly made and like i hate that just being solid is enough to make it the best of this particular strange subgenre of movies but that's where we're at yeah Ryan, um, I think it's a visually striking film. Um, that's th- th- that's good, um, but was possibly um, misguided in its um, its split approach. Mm-hmm. Kevin, so you know one of the key things in the film that they emphasize on a lot is being brave, loyal, and true. And I don't want to be cheesy, but I feel like this film, this remake, is that because it throws out the American comic relief. It throws out the radio-friendly pop songs. Essentially, this is a movie that removes everything that the Western audience has known and loved about Mulan, and it dares them to find something new to appreciate in it. And for that, I think it is such a brave attempt at retelling the original Chinese folktale. It earns my respect, and I support it wholeheartedly. I want this movie to succeed. Yeah, this is definitely a movie that I admire much more than I probably enjoyed. And maybe, yeah, to a certain extent, Kevin, as you're saying, uh, due to those missing elements uh, to some degree, I think if the original hadn't existed, I would definitely be a little bit more kind to it. Uh, But at the end of the day, even taking those elements away and getting rid of the comparisons, it still wouldn't make up for what I thought was a very shallow and middling uh, second act where um, a lot of the story beats, uh, the acting, the unnuanced dialogue that is conveying what it needs to but it's just lacking substance and emotion like a lot of moments in the middle of this movie just lost me thank god everything kind of comes together with the gong li uh arc and everything you know works out in the end and i do agree that for kids you know getting them interested um in those types of movies i think for kids this movie works extremely well and that is actually part of the reason why in the end i'm going to come out positive here with my grade actually uh because for adults I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, For some adults, it's working for. For others, um, you know, the Disney Studio Hollywood machine is going to be a hindrance sometimes from the types of movies that we want to see. I kind of want to do, I do kind of want to see at some point an R-rated subtitled version of Mulan. I, I want someone to make that movie at some point. But until then, you know, this is what we got. And I'm at a strong six out of 10 on it. Ryan, what are you at? I am uh, the same. I'm a six. Cody? 
Uh, hate to be boring, but I'm also leaning on a positive side of a six. Dan? I would be at a six, but in applying the Neglia rule, I cried, so seven. <laughs> and Kevin? I'm going to help Dan and Jenk the score up, and I'm saying seven. Okay. And then as far as Oscar potential is concerned for this movie, I personally think it's a shoe-in for costume design. In my, in, in, I, I mean, the, the, that sequence, the whole... Um, the matchmaker. matchmaker? Yes, the matchmaker, you'll bring honor to us all, where she's like applying the makeup. Mm-hmm. I mean... That I mean, I was thinking, oh, could this be a makeup and hairstyling nominee too? And I think there's potential for that. But it was the costumes that were just so visually striking to me that I thought to myself, there's absolutely no way that this is going to miss a nomination for that. I, I hope so, because the costumes really are gorgeous and well-made. And they're the way they're used in the film is, is really well done. What do you guys think about uh, for production design? Um, maybe it's a lot of outdoor stuff, which isn't usually what the category goes for. But I mean, in a year like this, anything with kind of a lavish budget, I'm sure has to be taken into consideration. Yeah, I feel like it's it's definitely a contender. Whether or not it will make it is a whole other thing. And we all know that Harry Gregus and William Score will be probably be disqualified because it borrows too many original elements from the 1998 original. But... Do you guys think Christina Aguilera's uh, song Loyal, Brave, and True, which plays over the end credits, could get a song nomination? Mm, I hope Probably. not. <laughs> which, by the way, that song is actually not that bad. Uh, it's I, not. I it's okay. It, well, I'm just <laughs> to like, follow it with Reflection, which is such a banger, was like, yes! oh, here's the main act. <laughs> it pales in comparison to Reflection, obviously. I wish there was a way, since Reflection didn't get a nomination back in 1998, I almost wish there was a way we could like retroactively correct <laughs> that. <laughs> um, I, I think she's good for a Golden Globe nomination, though, for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think it's definitely going to... It, just because of the profile of this movie, it's a contender, but the music branch does weird things. Yeah. Any other uh, Oscar potential there, you guys think? or I, I, I just think costume is probably the best chance it's got. Like, I would I would hope that production production design gets in. But like, if I'm being really honest, I feel like as much as I love all the sets and and all the locations in this film, it it's nowhere near as memorable to me as something like Wakanda. Sure. Okay. I, I, I get that. Yeah, because that, that was another movie that also had a lot of exteriors, but a lot of imaginative uh, interiors as well. And yeah, okay. All right. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. We really, really appreciated having your perspective uh, for this film today. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter. I am very, very active there. what's the uh what's the handle uh oh yeah my handle is at k-l-e-e underscore film review you can read uh my film reviews at film inquiry and that shelf and uh stay tuned because my full review of this mulan remake will come out soon all right awesome ryan where can i find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at rcs818 dan bear you can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. And Cody Derricks. I'm on Instagram, Letterboxd, and Twitter at CodyMonster91. 
And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Milan here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including the 1998 animated uh, review of Mulan. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.